Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of life with love. Good evening, everybody. I'm Jazz. She's Lubby, and we are here to spread some love and understanding and empathy throughout the world. And it's uh, been an interesting week for me anyway, because I'm preparing to get this eye finally fixed. And uh, it's, my anxiety has been pinging. You know, anxiety disorder is a strange thing, right? I have, I get an anxiety attack essentially over putting drops in my eyes. You know, just a drop. You know, just drops of medication. I get anxiety over putting drops of medication. You know, there's part of me that would, that actually would, you would think would rather be blind than, <laughs> than, than have someone stick a needle and suck out your old thing and put in a new lens. Suck out your old lens and put it. It's a 10-minute procedure, right? Routine procedure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, don't tell me you're at all wiggy over there. You're the one who sit there and watch them dig a boil out of my foot. That's different. No. But, it, well, it is. But anyway, so I'm sitting here freaking out over over uh, having to put drops in my eyes, kind of hoping that by the time I get around to having to stick the needle in my eye, I'm a little more okay with it. But I'm managing. I'm managing. But, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Because the only thing worse than putting doing this is not doing it, right? Yes. Because, <laughs> you know, that would be stupid, you know. But, you know, you want to be blind or you want to have a basic, simple routine. I mean, this is even routine of more routine surgeries. It's not like there's no, there's essentially zero chance of death. I mean, I suppose something could go wrong in my blind eye. I could be blinder. <laughs> there's not much to lose, is there? <laughs> But yet, there's that little part of me that doesn't want to do it simply because it's messing with my eyes. I don't want to have people mess with my eyes. I've never even, you know, as a stoner, most stoners put Visine in their eyes as kids, you know, to try and I never, I never did that because I hated putting Visine in my eyes. Just couldn't do it. So I never got past that irrational fear of putting drops of salt water in your eyes, which is nothing but your eyes that's all your eyes made of. but i also can't, can't open my eyes underwater so i had i was i had uh, to put drops in my eyes to keep them dilated for a couple of years cuz my eyesight was going bad so quickly and they did it to try and get it to slow down it worked you know but i still had horrible eyesight i had lasik done they give you a big teddy bear to hold on to yeah. it's all good i don't think a teddy bear is going to do it but i think we'll survive i think i'll also the thing is it's better than being blind actually it's not this eye it's when this comes back to do this eye and this eye is working fine then i'm actually going to have the problem because i won't be blind anymore and so that that impetus of uh, it's either this or blindness isn't going to be there i'll still have a good eye 
Oh, don't worry. I'll get get past it. Don't don't worry. I'm not gonna be stupid. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just don't don't worry about it. Okay. I'm not gonna, but I'm not. I'm gonna be honest. It's there. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's there, and I you know you can't face it unless you face it. You can't deal with it unless you face it. And so by not discussing it, and you know, it's discussing these things is how we get through them because we all having tough times right now all of us and even if you're not personally having a tough time all you have to do is turn on the tv open a newspaper open your social media feed i mean and you can see the world crumbling up crumbling around us and you know how do we get through these tough times how do we manage all that not just we as individuals, but we as a culture and a society. How do we do that? You know, it's a tough time for me personally. I can take the last year. It's been a struggle. Actually, if you go back a couple years now, the lifestyle I built myself three years ago was, shall we say, um, deemed not worthy by those at the power of being trying to be non-political here so those deemed not worthy of a genuine life of the lifestyle it, you know they wanted people to live differently and so that was taken away then that community asked me to run for office as ill-prepared and, and and you know and as all that was and as long shot as it was we went on that journey and we did about twice as good as we thought we could. Realistically speaking, we doubled what we theoretically th said we should have, what our floor was, what we realistically did. And that was a journey. It was an exhaustive journey, but it was a journey. And then we rolled right into that, into dealing with health problems and vision problems that were starting at the end of that. And then we rolled into the health problems, which were starting at the end of that. <laughs> and whether they're related or not, you know, who knows the stress of, of those two years probably had something to do with it. And the stress of those two years ending and having to figure out what the hell to do now probably had something to do with it. You know, at least if nothing else, setting myself up for when something came wrong, it wasn't body wasn't prepared. You know, stress kills your immune system. And so, and then I've had to deal with this last year of constant health issues right? Being in the hospital. Yeah. I'm not comfortable saying I was close to death this time, but I was on the road, <laughs> you know, we were on the path. You always wait till the last freaking minute. <laughs> Why? Well, I, don't, I don't think I waited till the last minute this time, but I was on the road. Yeah. That's dumb. I got to stop doing that as well, but I've changed a lot of things, you know, I've, yes, you have. I've made changes. We've tried to look at the bright side of even being blind, of losing my eyesight. We figured, we figured, I figured that part of that was slowed me down, made me have to take my time, allow my liver and other body to, you know, the rest of that to kind of recover and get some health again because I'm healthier now than I was three months ago. Despite the fact that three months ago I felt healthier than I had felt in a long time. I'm healthier now than I was then. And so in a sense, you know, the eyesight thing 
slowed me down, made me make sure I took enough time to actually get you know, healthier before I go off and now decide where the hell this life is going to take me from here on out. You know, I was, we still don't know. You know, I don't know what the future holds for us, for this, for anybody. Does anybody know the future now? You know, eco economics is up in the air, not just for me, but for lots of people. Society, direction of society, direction of culture. Um, hell, the direction of peace in the world at the moment isn't even clear. So, you know, the fundamental truths that we've grown up with our entire lives are kind of being rewritten. How do you find silver linings in that? But there is one. You know, we get to... It's an opportunity to reconnect with things that are genuinely important. It's an opportunity to remind ourselves that the chases we make for things, for careers, while they're important, they're not the most important thing. You, know, you, you have to chase your dreams. If you're a type A personality, if you're Elon Musk or, a, or someone like that, you have to chase your dreams. It's part of who you are. To not do it is to not be true to yourself. But not everybody's like that. Some people, in order to be true to themselves, they have to go on this long, painful journey. You know, um, a friend of ours is dealing through a similar journey that I dealt with at 35. He's dealing with at 25, 25, 26. And, you know, it's hard for him to understand that you're a decade ahead, kind of what a lot of people deal with. You know, these are kind of these loss and traumas and how do you deal with it? And how do you move forward? How do you become the person that you want to be in the face of all this negativity in the face of yourself where you look back at yourself and you're, you're only 25 and you look back into history. It's only a few years ago, right? And you're, or if you even that long, you, I wasn't the person I want to be. And you have to face that because you can't become the person you want to be until you face the person that you weren't person that you were accept it, and accept that you weren't the person you wanted to be. And you move forward. And the odd thing is, you're never going to be the person you want to be. You will always be able to look back and say, I wasn't the person I want to be. Because you're always moving forward. Or you should be. As you become closer to the person you want to be, the person you want to be becomes higher, becomes different. Becomes higher, becomes better. But you have a different understanding, a better understanding of who you want to be. So the silver lining is that you can always have the opportunity to learn something about yourself. There's always that opportunity to grow, to become closer to what you want to be. I think we've done that. We've done it here. I, you know, in the last 11, 12 years, almost 12 years now. Almost 12, 12 <laughs> years, July 8th. You know, it's, we're different people than we were 12 years ago, are we not? Yes. 
you know, it wasn't always easy. <laughs> you know, it was. Been... We've made it through the ch together through the changes. It's miraculous when that happens. I think. And you know, sometimes those difficult times end up being, I don't want to say catalyst for change, but end up being a, a marker in time. Yes. There was a before and after. Yes. Now the journey is kind of the same. Now, maybe that event helped you focus. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it's just a roadmap, a road post. Hey, something happened right here. So we're going to put a, you know, a plaque. You know, uh, you know, something up so we remember it, but it's just part of the journey. It's something to remember, but it's just part of the journey. You know, you don't want to. There's a difference between remembering things and holding on to them. You know, if you put it as a marker as part of the journey, you can come back to it and you can look back at it and you can go, wow, weren't we dumb? Or, wow, we learned a lot since then, or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, but you don't want to carry that around with you. You know, since we call it putting it on the shelf, you, know, you put it on the top shelf of the closet, you look at, you bring, take it down, you look at it every now and again, do we need to open this box? Nah, you stick it back up there. But we actually. We look at a lot of different things. We got a <laughs> lot of boxes. But we don't ignore them. No. We don't let them get all dusty and and in, in the closet we don't let, allow them to be forgotten while they're in the closet we we revisit them and say is now the time but we, we should we want to but stuff keeps happening and so stuff that we should deal with doesn't get dealt with because frankly there's more important stuff on the plate Apparently, it's not that important since it can sit on the shelf sometimes for years at a time. Yeah, and it's, there's there's stuff on the shelf that we take off more regularly than others, and we look yes. at it. Can we deal with this now? I say, yeah, we're getting close, but then something happens, and it has to sit on the shelf a little while longer. But what that tells you is, in the grand scheme of things, that's not the most important thing. Dealing with that, while important, we're not we're acknowledging that it's important to deal with at some point. It's going to have to be dealt with. Yes. We acknowledge that. Yes. And at some point it will be, but stuff, you know, in this case, my eyes and my health, you know, or someone goes on a trip or whatever it is, you know, pick your, pick your poison for us. It seems to be a rolling, a rolling gate. Maybe one day life will slow down a little bit and, and we can catch up. But every time we seem to catch up, life throws us more curveballs. But we're just like everybody else. And the difference is, though, we laugh at them. Every day. We laugh at the curveballs as we swing and miss and fall down at the curveballs. We laugh. We pick ourselves back up, dust ourselves back on. Well, we missed that one and looked like a fool, didn't we? Yeah, well, what are you going to do? And we keep going. Yeah. A silver lining is just means you've learned, you've either learned a lesson or you haven't allowed it to drag you down. It doesn't mean it's hard, not hard. You know, a lot of people have. A lot of people keep saying they're impressed is the wrong word. 
but how I've been dealing with this being blind for the last six months. You've, you've done it with style and grace on the outside, yeah. I know. Yes, I've done it, but that's the thing. You know, I also acknowledge that on the inside, I'm a petulant little child. But the trick is, by allowing myself to be a petulant little child on the inside, it gives me the freedom to have it with grace on the outside. Because I've acknowledged it. I, I don't tell him to shut up and go away. I let the petulant little child inside who wants to feel sorry for himself, who wants to go, oh, why me? And all that kind of, let him say it. Let him express himself. You know, on an occasion, when I'm feeling especially on, on the edge. I let it express himself to you. I let him express himself to my therapist. But I let him express himself. I don't bury him. I say, okay, it's great. I know you feel that way, but now what are you going to do? And inevitably, the answer becomes, well, nothing. I just wanted to be heard. Because what are you going to do? Going to throw a fit? You're going to lay down, lay down on the ground and kick and scream like a toddler? Okay, but what good's that going to do? Not even going to make you feel better. It's going to make you feel like a jackass later when you when you realize, that, you know, it's not even going to make you feel better. So what are you going to do? You're going to make the people around you miserable? You're going to make yourself more miserable? Or are you going to you know, do the best you can? And I think it's we just try to do the best we can. Okay. And I forgot where I was going with that one. Ah. So, but the, what are the things we lean on? You know, as we deal with these, you know, the tough times, silver linings, small victories. Small victories. Yes. <laughs> Getting out of bed in the morning. But when we talk about this, it's a victory for me. Yeah, but okay. The question is, why are these? What's the importance of viewing these as small victories? I guess is the question. Why do we want to view these as small victories? What's the purpose? Well, I like having a positive attitude. It 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 feeds on itself. Yeah. You know, one of the ways I explained it here in the description was it's, uh, it's like a walking stick. It allows you to transfer strength, have more balance. You know, instead of having three, you know, two legs, you now have three. And instead of having to only put all your weight on your legs, you now can put weight on your arm. Your arm can carry some of that weight. It helps. You view it as a positive, as a positive way to start your day. Why? Because it helps. You know, it's better than the alternative. You know, oh God, I got to get up again today and go off and do the drudgery. Well, this is true. You got to get up and go off and do the drudgery, and no one really wants to do that. But at least you can get up. At least the sun is shining. Exactly. You know, at least you're breathing. What is it? 
I had an old friend, you know, <laughs> he wasn't a Monday person and neither was I, but he'd say good morning every day. And I say, oh, there's nothing good about mornings and says, well, it's better than the alternative. Meaning it's better than not having a morning. Yes. <laughs> right. Hey, don't like mornings either, but it's better than not having one. Yes. Yeah. It's better than sleeping through it. You know, it's better than you know, laying there through it because you're not sleeping at that stage. But, you know, it's better than death is what his point was. This is a guy whose wife had cancer and all kinds of things. And yet he could find that, well, it's better than the alternative. You know, the fact that him and his wife woke up that morning to him was a victory. Because he knew that, you know, sometimes that's the only victory you can get. And that's ultimately the victory you want. You want to wake up every day with somebody who loves you. You want them to wake up every day. The rest of it is just the rest of it. But first you have to wake up, right? Yes. You know, the early bird gets the worm, <laughs> the second mouse gets the cheese. Well, <laughs> at least you woke up. Well, maybe not the first mouse. Because <laughs> you know the saying about the second mouse getting the cheese. But it's because the first mouse set off the trap. Mm -hmm. The second mouse can walk in and eat the cheese all he wants. Because the first mouse is sitting there stuck with a trap snapped his neck. So, you know, you don't have to be the first one. Just be the smartest one. <laughs> I don't know where I went with that. It's Sometimes I don't know where I'm going. And it just ends up that way. So, what do we want to do? Ooh, it's already 20 already. Um, well, there was an article um, that you posted. Mm -hmm. Parents just don't you tell your kids not to stare at mine. They had a special needs son, and that's what she heard. And from a parent, you know, please don't, you're not supposed to stare. That's not nice. And she encouraged people to start a conversation. Hi, so just say hello. And they're out having a good time, just like everybody else, and ready to mingle, you know. No, but maybe they're not. Maybe it's at the grocery store. And you don't want to mingle. Now, part of the reason is, I suppose is we don't want to be judgmental on why, because you don't want to teach your children to stare, right? Because they're just like somebody else. Do you stare at people? I mean, maybe if someone isn't disabled, it's rude to stare. Yes. And so you want to teach your children that it's rude to stare. But at the same time, this is a child trying to learn about the world. And so when they see something that is, out of the ordinary, their brains focus on it and they're trying to understand it. And so in a sense, the, their point about, you know, have the conversation with your child, you know, look, 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 you don't want to stare. You have some issue, you know, what are you noticing? And having that full conversation with your child, I can understand. 
that you, you do want to do. I'm not entirely sure going and bothering somebody, you know, and having a conversation when it might not be appropriate, like at the grocery store or someplace, you know, smile, you know, if they, if they notice that your child is staring and you notice that you, you smile and, you know, do the kind of common courtesy you would do that you would do with anybody in that situation. The thing for me is you don't want to treat someone who is disabled any differently than you would treat somebody else. So if it's a situation where you would walk up and introduce and say hi anyway, then by all means, walk yourself up, say hi. And they know that they look different. And so the fact if it comes up in that is going to come up in conversation. But the point is to not treat it any differently as anything else. If you have a question, the only way you can get an answer is to ask. And sometimes the best person to ask is the person who you're interested in. Now, children, it's difficult because children have no filter. <laughs> and things can come out, you know, not how they intend. Right? It can seem more abrupt than they intend. What's wrong with them? But, mommy. You know, and that's not really what they mean. What they really mean is, why are they different? I, I don't understand. And then you have a chance, opportunity to explain to them that some people are, you know, are born different. They develop differently, you know, than you and I, and they have different challenges in life than you and I. You know, but it's our job to treat them. The same way we treat everybody else. The same courtesy and respect. The people I have, that I have known. Who. Whether it's autism. Whether it's. More severe cases. To less severe cases. Whether it's deformities. All they really want is to be treated like a normal person. That's all they really want their, their children to be treated like. It's like a normal person. Now they know that sometimes their children are more at risk of predators than other people. And so that's a fine line for them to walk. It's like having your, your heart walk around on other feet because they're not fully capable of protecting themselves from hurt. Sometimes. And even if they are, you know, emotionally able to protect themselves from hurt, it's still hard as a parent because, you know, they shouldn't have to. Nobody should have to, but kids who face extra, extra challenges shouldn't have to. And, you know, how do you have that conversation is it's difficult. There's no clear answer because... I wouldn't walk up to somebody in the store and create a conversation unless it feels natural, unless it feels right. You know, sometimes it does. You can tell. You look at somebody, they smile, you smile at them. It seems friendly. You say, hi, that's a cool thing. You know, and you start having a, it's a cool chair or whatever. And you start having a conversation about, you know, something. You know, hey, I like your hat. You know, whatever it is. There's a natural conversation that you have with anybody, like in line. You know, you're standing in line with somebody and Hey, we, I like your scarf. You have a conversation about their scarf for a minute. Sometimes, you know, you have a minute. Sometimes you don't. 
Sometimes a person has other things on their mind. They don't want to engage with you and that's fine. Sometimes they're friendly and you have, you end up having a, you know, five minute conversation or whatever it is. And it's fine. Just do that. And teach your children to do that. Right? When appropriate, you make adjustments for them. Yes. But for the most part, they're just a person who wants to have a human interaction. We're just people wanting to have human experiences and share those human experiences. And, you know, you can't love other people until you love yourself. And part of teaching your children to uh, be kind to other people, it's also teaching them to be kind to themselves. Children are wonderful things. They make these connections. That if I'm expected to be kind to other people, I can expect other people to be kind to me. And I should expect other people to be kind to me. So it's, it goes beyond teaching your children to not stare. It's teaching your children to be human. And we need that in the world right now. All right, it's your break time. Take an extra minute because we're gonna have. I'm gonna cover that question we you didn't want to cover. So all right. So give me a couple extra minutes. So we left a question off the list um, today, and I'm gonna answer it while Lubby's gone because, well, it's my feeling that we should be able to talk about anything here. So the question was, someone had was asking about their sister was confided into them that one of their parents was uh, not tickling them at night, was bothering them at night, and it wasn't tickling, it was something else. And this question is, what do I do? And normally we say, talk to the other parent, you know, find somebody to talk to, and this one is going to be quite simple. Call whichever one you're more comfortable with. CPS or the police. You have no other choice. You just don't. The only thing harder than what you're going to go through if you do this is what you go through if you don't. You know, life has... Life gives us things we have to deal with whether we like them or not that we shouldn't have to deal with, but we do. And you have an opportunity to stop pain. And while it's understandable that you'd want to put this responsibility off on someone who is better suited or who should be better suited to dealing with it, you don't have a choice. And it's uh, one of those sad things in life that I wish we didn't have to cover. And I can understand Lovey's resistance to talking about this, but we have to be willing to talk about it if we're going to end it.
And um, so on these kind of situations, it's I'm not one to say go to police or CPS. It's not my favorite institutions, but, you know, you do it. Okay. All right. Friendships, parents, right sides of disorders. Friendships are a struggle. Oh, actually, we did cover all this stuff. I did a 22-minute narrative and covered all those things. Yes, you did. Huh. I was actually a little little short. I figured it was going to go 25 minutes. I, but I feel like I forgot something I wanted to cover. I should take better notes. <laughs> Blame the intern. Blame the intern. I can't get you to show up in studio on time. What are you talking about? I'm the talent. You know, talents have, there's a word for that. Call it diva, ma'am. <laughs> I'm a diva. <laughs> yeah, you're something, all right. All right, so what do we got? Okay, here's one for you. Why do they say the subconscious mind only understands symbol and language? How is this true when clearly we can understand everything? Well, actually, he, I think he's misphrased his question. The subconscious mind only understands symbolic language. doesn't actually understand language. It understands symbolism. doesn't understand language itself. Language is something created. The subconscious mind understands stuff that is evolved. Some stuff that's more natural. Subconscious mind understands, you know, body language. It understands, you know, the clouds and the trees and the tones of the birds and that kind of thing. The things you don't pick up on actively most often until your subconscious picks it up and says, hey, pay attention to that. All the birds stop chirping. The birds stop chirping or they all start chirping, you know, either one. Or there's a change in pace you know so maybe you know there's a predator coming these are the things that are instinctive but we don't subconscious doesn't understand language that's too high input too high functioning so first he's got it wrong and two who says we can understand everything <laughs> You must disabuse you of that notion that we under, can understand everything. There's lots of things we can understand. Think about time. I'm not going to go on my time thing because that'll cover, you know, 15 minutes. But <laughs> just contemplate, you know, Einstein's sphere of relativity and time. How that relates to time. If the faster you glow, the slower time goes. What does that mean for time? You think we understand it? We don't understand how gravity works. You don't understand Jack Diddler's squat. The more you learn, the less you know. I know. Yeah. I'm 60, and the more, the older I get, the more less I know. It's 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 interesting, but I'm comfortable with it now. 
Yeah, at 16, you think you know everything and you know nothing. At, at you know, 50, 60, you know a lot and you know you know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just how it goes. It's the way the world works. And I was at 16 saying, you know, I was six, six, I was no different at 16 than any other 16-year-old. So I'm not throwing stones. It's just how the world, you know. Sometimes it's better to not know. Sometimes it's better to not know something is impossible. That way you try and it becomes possible. Yeah, lots of stuff that were deemed impossible. Flight. Ah, it can never happen. Well, except for some young moron bicyclists, you know, decided that they wanted to fly. Well, it wasn't just them. John Curtis also was inventing the plane at the same time. So whether it was the Wright brothers or John Curtis was like three weeks behind, four weeks behind. You know, that's essentially the same time. In the grand scope of his human history, right? The plane was essentially invented by two different groups at the same time. Often happens in history. Same thing with the telephone. Literally, that paper was turned in on the same day. You know, who got there first? Essentially. Graham Bell got there first. Well, not really, depending upon whose account. He wasn't even the first person to turn the paperwork in. But he paid to get his paper slipped in at the bottom of the stack, so it got stamped first. According to legend, as you know, take it for what it's worth. <laughs> what? Okay, what's next? What can I do when my husband and I have been forced to into taking care of his 87 year old mother who can't be left alone? But my husband's family is criticizing me saying I'm not doing a good enough job and that their mom and dogs should come first. Did we cover this? No, I don't think so. Oh, maybe I just read it and threw it out last week and didn't, we didn't cover it. Um, well, first, if they want to at least think you're not doing a good enough job, then they can take care of their mother and her dogs. That's the first thing. Yeah, but it's not just your decision. That's one of those things you and your husband are going to have to sit down and have a conversation and say, look, if we're going to take care of your mother, you're going to have to get your brother and sisters and off my back about how we're doing it. You know, sometimes you end up having to do things for family. You don't necessarily want to do. And that's just the way life is. So, you know, you're not going to get a whole lot of sympathy for me trying to take care of, of a, you know, your aging mother, mother-in-law. But you should be honored for it and respected for it and helped by those who are supposed to love her. And not criticized without help. If they're going to criticize you, they should be following up with help. You know, do we need to have a, can we have a maid come in once a week to help, help you with the cleaning? You know, something. You know? Whatever it might be. So this in-home health services who can help with the bathing. Yeah. Or whatever it is, you know what those whatever tasks it is you dislike to do, maybe they can 
find someone to do that, you know, so the other tasks don't feel so burdensome. Because a lot of times it's not, you don't feel overly burdened by all the tasks. It's just, just one or two things that you really don't like to do and they kind of drag everything else down. And so, you know, find those one or two things that really irritate you, get help for those, and maybe it's not such a burden. Well, that's a, this is a subject you and your husband are going to have to tackle together. So, okay. If programming is so easy, why are there so many unfilled jobs? Who says programming is easy? Where does this idea? This is a learn to code nonsense where you oh, just go learn to code. No, code uh, a decent programmer, a decent coder is a skill and a talent just as much as any other. You know, you can't not necessarily just become a good coder because you just want to become a good coder. It doesn't work that way. There's lots of perfectly qualified, qualified coders and programmers who can't code their way out of a paper bag. And there's lots of people who are qualified, who aren't qualified, who are much better. Most of the hackers in the world don't qualify as programmers. It's not an easy thing. And the reason there's so many unfilled positions is because there's a lack of respect for it. You know, businesses and business managers don't actually understand the, the job. They don't understand the tasks. So they overhire and underpay. They hire too many workers. Because they're hiring too many, they underpay them. You know, if they hired higher quality, paid them more, they wouldn't need so many. But it's not easy. And part of the problem is we've been telling people, oh, well, go retrain yourself, learn to code. We've flooded a market with people who have essentially no coding skills because they don't understand the backbone. It's not in their nature. You know, to be a good programmer, you need to live and breathe that stuff. It's not just a career. It's a hobby. It's part of who you are. It's like being a doctor, you know, you don't turn that stuff off. Even on your off hours, you're still studying, you're still learning, you're still growing, you're still working. Just because you can't help it. So. Man, that's it. What is something that you swear happened, but you have no proof and nobody believes you? Ah. Well, I have a million of those. It took a long time for people to, to realize that weird stuff happens to me. It took <laughs> me a long time. I thought you were just exaggerating. <laughs> if you can find a bureaucratic hole, you will fall into it. Well, then there's that, and then there's the alien thing. Well, okay, the unidentified flying object. I probably a military craft, but it was clearly an unidentified flying flying object. Could have been aliens, but it was probably military. There's that. No one's gonna believe me. I'm not saying I know what the hell it was. I unidentified. Don't know what the hell it was. And no, we hadn't been drinking yet. <laughs> 
It happens later. <laughs> so what about you over there? I can't think of anything. I've been trying to think all day. Okay. Da, 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 da. All right. So what's next? What types of bad parenting do kids usually never recover from? I was listening to a, um, a lecture from a psychologist, uh, professor, psychology professor. And he says, never let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. And so it's an interesting thing. Disliking your children is probably the worst thing that your, you know, your child, you could do to your child that they can't recover from. Because how do you recover from it? You can get past abuse, but how do you get past from being disliked, rejected by those who brought you into this world? And you could, you could write down abuse to misguided, broken. There's all kinds of things you can do, but how do you get past being rejected? I just don't know. So maybe it's rejection. Emotional rejection. It's probably the one thing that your parent, the child has most difficulty getting over. Those are mine. I would think. I know my mother loved me, but there were things about me she didn't like. Well, I mean, that's different. Having things about you doesn't, that you don't, I mean, you know, that's different than being, not liking the child. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's, I don't know. But I think that just emotional rejection, I think that's the worst thing you could do to a child. Now, how that manifests itself. It's different, but but we see it. It's one of those things like pornography is you know it when you see it. Okay. My daughter is allowing her stepmother to call herself my grandchild's grandmother. It's hurtful. What should I do? Uh, nothing. It's not your choice. It's none of your damn business. You know, children can have more than one grandparent. They often do. And they have another person in their life that loves them. What's wrong with that? You know, being a grandmother, being a grandparent is not about the title. You don't have to do anything during the title as a biological grandmother, grandparent. But as a step-parent, you have to earn that title to someone to grant it to you. They've done something to earn that title. And, you know, rather than whining about it, maybe you should honor it. You don't have to be threatened by it. You know, you can have two different judgments. 
You know, two things can be true. You can love the child and she can love that child. They're not ex they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> the child can love both of you. It's not mutually exclusive. There's plenty of love in the world to go around. You know, love is a strange thing. The more you the more you have, the more you get. The more you put out, the more there is in the world. This child is love. Why are you complaining? Get out of your own way. You're the one getting in the way of this child being loved. Get out of the way. Your role is your role. Be loved. I don't understand why you would complain that somebody, a grand, a child is loved by more people. I just don't get it. So anyway, okay. Am I a bad mother for retiring abroad and abandoning my children and grandchildren? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm since you're retiring, I'm assuming your children aren't like five or ten or something. They're adults, right? So by definition, you're not abandoning your children. I mean, you're, I'm assuming they're adults, right? You're not, you're not yes. 30 and abandoning teenagers or something, you know. So, my guess is your children and grandchildren are not abandoned. You're just moving. Moving happens all the time. I can understand how you feel that way. I mean, we've been discussing kind of casually, quasi seriously, but not, you know, moving to a tropical island. And which is hard being away from family and, and all that stuff, but it's not abandoning them. It feels that way, but it feels that way to you. I mean, it might feel that way to them for a little while, but it's not an abandonment. What, we supposed to never move, never go on with your lives, never do anything different out of some sense of what? Some sense of duty? To adults? Children? No. It's you. Are feeling guilty for wanting to place your priorities first. And it's valid. And if you can't live with yourself, then you shouldn't move. If it's that big of a burden for you. Maybe you shouldn't move. But it's not an abandonment. It's just going on with your own life. You know, there comes a point where you no longer have to raise your children. They are raising their own children. And you can help, but you don't have to hover anymore. And it's hard because you spend 20 years or longer, you know, raising these kids. It becomes part of who you are. Part of, you know, you're a mother, you're a father, you're a parent. But now you're not. It's no longer your duty. Your duty has now evolved. It's now different. 
you know, a support clerk somewhere, you know, <laughs> information booth. You're the person who your grandchildren get to hap are happy to see. They love you and you love them. But if you they have functional parents, they don't need you. They want you. And that's even more beautiful. But you still have your own life to live. You still have 20 years, 25 years. You still have to be you. Yeah. Well, moving to a foreign country is the right call or not, don't know. That's for you to decide. Yeah, yeah but drop the word abandon and then reframe it and then look at it. That's my suggestion. Because you're, you're, it's the poison pill. By using the word abandon, you're poisoning the conversation. Okay. Good looks are generally rewarded by society. What are some unique social obstacles faced by only good-looking people? Too much attention. You know, life gets too easy. Too many things thrown at your feet. God, if you're a, a, an attractive teenager, at, at, you know, attractive teenage girl, God, that would have to be annoying. And kind of flattering, but annoying as well. It's it. I was pr a pretty girl. It was flattering, but it it got boring. It's like, yeah, what else about me? So what? That's just superficial. Yeah. So you know, it. it no one goes through life unscathed and unscarred. You know, we all carry a burden, just because we think there our burdens are heavier than somebody else's doesn't mean they are. They're just different. You know, and maybe sometimes life is too easy. You get too many opportunities thrown at their plate, so they don't have to learn to struggle. And so by the time they get to, say, college or something where it's full of attractive, successful people and they can no longer skate by on their charm and good looks and they have to actually do work they don't know how you know if personal interactions if everybody's always coming up to you creating the starting their personal interactions you never learn how to learn how to do that what happens when you become average you're surrounded and you're in a room full of beautiful people and now you have to have actual personality you never had the opportunity to develop it. Now there's downsides to everything. Yin yang. You know, a balanced life is the best life. So anytime someone's life is unbalanced, whether it's attractiveness, athleticism, you know, take your pick. There's a price for that. Just because we don't see the price doesn't mean it's not a heavy one. And speaking of heavy prices, this last question. I just found out my 16-year-old daughter is pregnant. She's keeping the baby. What advice would you give me as her mother on handling the situation? I'm open to all advice. What are your words of wisdom? 
Well, I don't have any words of wisdom. Because, you know, that ship has sailed. And so the question is, where do you go from here? And I think you're already on the right path. You're opening to listening. You're open to learning. You're open to... I mean, you clearly had a discussion with your daughter. She's clearly close enough to you to have an open conversation at 16 about, you know, choice she made that turned out poorly. And so you've done some good things, right? You know, 16 year olds make poor choices regardless of you're raising them. So, you know, there's a standard while well, you did something wrong, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, you could have done everything right and she still makes the wrong choice because teenage hormones, you know, so that ship has sailed. So you deal with what's in front of you. She is now a mother. She's chosen to be a mother. The minute you chose to be the she, the minute she chose to keep the baby, she is now a mother. And then she made that choice. And so you have a few months to get her from a teenager to a mother. And that's what you have to do. It starts with taking care of her health. Starts with taking care of her space, making sure her room and everything is picked up. She's organized because if she's disorganized, she's going to drown in what's coming. And the hardest part is you're going to have to let her make some mistakes on her own because she's going to make a lot of them because we all do. You know, some of these things feel mutually exclusive. How can you prepare her in the next few months for becoming a mother while allowing her to make mistakes. Well, because that's what prepares you to be a mother. You know, she's in a safe environment, right? I'm a, she's in your home. So she's got a roof over her head. She's got some stability there, which is a huge, so freaking huge thing. There's stability on where she's, where her, you know, she's not having to worry where she lays her head. She doesn't have to worry that her child is going to be sleeping in the cold, right? So you've actually got the biggest, most important worry covered. So you deal with her health. You know, try not to hound her on her future. She's worried about that anyway. You know, it's, a lot of times people try to hound their kids on their education and, and it's all true. You want them to continue their education. You want them to push forward, but don't hound them on it because they know, <laughs> you know, you don't need to remind them constantly. They know you don't need to up the pressure. You need to find out how to depressurize the situation as best you can. Because it's what's going to be what's best for her health. Stress is a terrible thing. Terrible for her, terrible for the baby, terrible for the future. You make bad choices. So, my best guess, words of wisdom, take deep breaths. You know how to do this. You've raised, you've raised children before. You don't have to raise the children, but you're still raising one. You're not raising a baby, but you're still raising a teenager. It's an odd thing.
and there's no rule book for this. There's no script. But, you know, approach it with love, compassion, kindness. We'll move forward. Just move forward. And the silver lining is, you have a beautiful little baby. So the most glorious things. Yeah. The laugh of a toddler, the laugh of a child, the greatest sound on earth. And a lot of people would be saying they don't want to bring a child into the world right now. And I think that's wrong. If you're full of love, if your family is full of love, then you are the ones who need to be bringing a child into the world right now. Your house is full of love. You're facing something you didn't want to face. But your house is full of love. It'll be okay. So anyway, with that, as we all go on our journeys, this particular journey is at an end, but our journey is not. We will be back with you next week, 9 p.m. You can find us at latenightlove.us. You can send love, lovey, a letter at love at latenightlove.us. I'd love to hear from you. And you can find me at Jazzrack on Twitter, or you can find us on Facebook, MeWe, minds your favorite podcast network just search late night love and for me and lovey we want to thank you for joining with us and uh please remember to uh, love everybody good night